Thank you so much. Thank you for the introduction. And thank you. You may be seated. Yes, I need some stories on Jared. So I'm still doing investigative uh, work here. And I keep reminding him I still have veto power. She may have a ring, but I still hold the veto. (laughs) No, we've been enjoying getting to know him. And I'm still waiting for my golf game. And uh, we got to fit that in somehow today. All right. All right. You hold him to that as well. And it's just a joy to be here. I want to thank Pastor Chapel. I know he's not here, but I want to thank him for his faithfulness and just what we see today as a result of faithfulness to the Lord. I am very much appreciative to him for that. And also to Brother Getz, just for the invitation to be here today. Uh, Brother Rasmussen, just for the warm welcome. And he always keeps us up to date on our girls, sends us pictures. We love to get that. And so it is just a joy to be here. It's amazing to see the changes that happen over the years. I was here seven years ago in chapel. Anyone at that chapel meeting? Seven years ago. Just faculty, I hope, are raising their hands. Because uh, if you're still here cramming that four-year degree in, uh, we'll pray for you. But it's just great to see a student body. And I'm excited about what the Lord is doing in Bible preaching ch- churches, but also Bible uh, preaching colleges and those who are staying true to the Word of God. I truly believe we're heading into a time where we're going to see a harvest. We're seeing that in our church, uh, souls being saved, uh, added to the church, and we're excited about that. We are able to be here on Sunday and just to be able to see what God is doing in and through this local church as well. So thank you for being here in chapel. I don't know if you had a choice or not, but thank you for being here. We're going to turn to Philippians chapter 3 together as we begin. And we're going to start with just looking at this word this morning. It's going to be my title. It's just one word. I want to be easy on you today because I know some of you are coming from classes. You're heading into classes, so I want to make it easy. The one word title is this, focus. Focus. In Philippians chapter 3, we'll read there in just a moment, but I was reading in a leadership book, as I often do, and I came across a line, and it said something along these words. It says, a successful leader would agree with this, you simply cannot effectively focus on two important things at once. When I read that, I had to go back and read it again in my mind, and so I'll say it again for you. You simply cannot effectively focus on two important things at once. It reminded me of the kid who was in the photography class who uh, got a bad grade because the teachers were saying he was having trouble focusing. And I can tell those jokes because I have five kids, right? Photography class, and if I need to explain it later, I will. But maybe you've been there before. You've had trouble focusing. Maybe you've been sitting in classes this morning like you were just explaining and having a little bit of a fog going on in the mind and having trouble focusing. Well, in life, that's a very dangerous thing. Getting distracted and losing focus in our Christian walk is a very dangerous thing to do. In fact, in all of life, people emphasize this as going through life with focus. If you've ever worked in the business world, Many businesses that you work in will have focus statements and, and goals and, and different things to really rally people around with strategy statements to gather the focus there and to encourage one another in one common direction. I was just at a retirement um, a recognition for a friend of mine, retired as a lieutenant colonel in the army. He commands a battalion, and their battalion has a focus statement. And many military divisions have this. His is this. Get this. It's send me. Send me. I thought that is a unique thing for a military to have. It's almost biblical, isn't it? 
And really, that whole focus, uh, emphasis, is a biblical principle. And in Scripture, we're going to see that in just a moment. To help you remember the word focus, I came across an, an acrostic. You know, one letter per word. And it says this, follow one course until successful. Follow one course until successful. Focus. This is kind of what we're describing here because really the Bible is a book about focus. The Bible mentions this, there is one God. There is one Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. There is one way of salvation. And in Philippians chapter 3, we're going to encounter a series of verses that were recorded by a pretty focused individual. Paul, as he was working and, and, and serving the Lord, he did so with such a drive and determination. I read about him and, and I'm inspired to hear these words that he shares. In these verses, what we're about to read is he was not shifting into neutral, but he was in forward gear. In fact, in the Christian life, there is no room for neutrality. You can't just say, I'm just going to coast along. In the Christian life, there's forward or there's reverse. And what Paul was emphasizing and what we're going to be looking at today, in case you guessed it, we're going to be looking at this motion, forward motion. And our world needs believers who are trained, who are ready, who are discipled, who are going to serve the Lord with that motion, forward, and with a focus of following the Lord. Paul here mentions one focus, one direction, forward. For as popular as these verses are, I'm going to be reading in verses number 12 to 14. I look back in my notes and my records, and I've actually only used this portion as a text for a sermon only twice in, only tw in over 20 years of preaching. And so as we encounter this again, it's fresh for me again. And I hope as we read it, you won't just kind of review it in your mind as just being memory work, but you'll read it with me. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, follow along. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, and this is what caught my attention, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward, you notice the direction, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. If you haven't noticed that statement that I tried to emphasize, I hope you'll underline it, mark it, remember it somehow. This one thing I do. Before he said those words of that focus statement, he portrayed some other attitudes that he described just before this. So let's look at these things. Look at these two prominent attitudes. Number one, humility. Look at verse number 12. He says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. That stood out to me as a statement or a mindset of humility. I'll tell you this right now, in ministry work, which I think most of you are training for and heading towards, in the ministry, in church work, that mindset will move you forward. Pride is what will move you backwards. How can you know then if your heart is trending forward with humility? Let's try and describe this a little bit because you may be sitting here thinking, yes, 
I'm the most humble person on campus. Well, how, let's, let's help our hearts here a little bit with describing this. How can we know whether we're going forward in humility? Well, I'd say this. Take heed. If your heart is saying something like this, I've arrived. I know things. In fact, I know much more than what I really think I need to know. I can sit in homiletics, hermeneutics, theology, and in fact, I could be the one up front teaching these lessons. I know all these things. I have it perfected. I have no more room to grow. Listen, if your heart is reflecting any of those things, which I hope it's not, then it could be that your heart is not trending forward with humility. You might look at that and say, well, that's a little bit of extreme examples to use. Can I tell you, I sat across the desk recently with somebody who told me those things. I was going through their personal testimony, and as I was listening to them explain their personal testimony, I wasn't even convinced they were saved. And we were in a meeting about church membership. So my first suggestion to them was, attend our Continue class. We use the discipleship book, Continue. I said, how about you come a few weeks and attend the class? And I gave them the book, and they thumbed through it quickly, and they looked at the themes. And they said, I already know all this. And I'm sitting there thinking, I've heard your testimony. There's no way you know all this. And I encourage them, just come out and sit and listen and learn. Please understand, nobody can say that they've arrived. Paul here is saying he had every opportunity to really stand up and to brag about his upbringing, his background, about who he was, and about what his accomplishments were. And really, we could look back in his life and we could see some great religious accomplishments. And there would be many who were in his day and age who would use those as a bragging point. In our day and age, I have to laugh sometimes in the sports world and how much bragging goes on. Right? There's a lot of debate about who is the greatest of all time. What's the short form of that? The GOAT. I was watching this year. 2023, our societies honored the GOAT of basketball. In fact, I think he lives down the road somewhere nearby here. I'll not say his name because he loves that too much. But in the award ceremony, they used this huge introduction to say that he had scored the most points in the NBA of all time. And I sat there watching this clip of it, and I thought, really, for throwing a ball in the air and through a hoop? I thought, scoring the most points is easy, is it not? You can't even touch them, because then you're going to be fouled. Now, I know the basketball fans are getting mad here, but really, there are some real sports where you're allowed to really touch somebody, right? (laughs) Football, hockey, you know, these things. I think we should do a basketball game with those things amalgamated in there, but either way, he's standing up there as the goat of those who never touched him, yet he put the ball in the basket. And as they introduced him, they used all these great and grandiose terms, and then he stands up, and he takes his award, and guess what he continues to do? Heap praises on himself. At that point, I turned it off. That's as much as I could take. You know, it was quite pathetic, really. To hear somebody go on a a braggadocious tirade of all of his accomplishments, of who they are and what they have done, and really, Paul could have done that religiously speaking. Look at back in verse number 4 of this same chapter. Philippians 3, verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh. 
I more. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. And he goes on to discuss all of these things that he did in his life that were religiously observed as being great. But look at verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith, through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him. There's another statement that he says that sticks with you. And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul says this. He says, I'm not done yet because I'm not dead yet. I still have things to accomplish for Christ. I can still live for Him. I'm going to do that till the day I stand before Christ, Paul says. Therefore, God still has something left for me to do. Paul's desire is clear. His life is not going to be lived for Himself. What did He say? I'm going to live it for Christ that I may know Him. I like how He says this because He's not saying just knowing about Him. Information about the Lord. He, he knew all about the Scriptures. He was already wise to those things. Really, this is a dangerous trap that we accuse false religions of. Just gaining a head full of knowledge. But can I just warn you? That's one of the dangerous traps of Bible college too. Gaining more knowledge without really knowing Him. Sitting in classes and gaining more knowledge in order to pass a test. Now, I'm all about academic excellence. Get high grades. Attain those things. Study with diligence. Learn how to write a good book report. Do all of these things. But in the end, it's not how much you know. It's how much you know. In the end, when you go before a, a pastor who's looking to hire somebody or a mission board who's looking to take you on as a missionary, they're not going to check your GPA. They're going to be checking something else. Character. Your walk with the Lord. And Paul is talking about knowing Him. That's different. That's experiential. That's not stuck up here as the intellectual. Speaking with somebody this summer about that, the experiential knowledge of something. Our church is made up of a number of nations of the world. We live in our nation's capital. Any of you not know that Ottawa was a nation's capital? Oh, good. You know your geography. This is good. Ottawa, our nation's capital. 128 embassies in our city. Our church is reflective of our city. We have about, I think it was 28 nations represented in our church. We have a, a fellowship time in the foyer after, or foyer, sorry, foyer after, and, and we're standing there, and you can hear languages being spoken all over that area, and it's great. I love it. It's exciting. And I get to learn about all of these cultures, and I was talking with a man recently who is from Cameroon. Anyone here from Cameroon, Africa? All right, so he was there, from there, and he was telling me in his grade school years, he learned about Canada. And one of the things he learned about was the weather. Now coming from Cameroon, he's nearer to the equator. And in school, he learned about Canada. He says, we learned it was cold. He says it could get down to minus 28 Celsius, minus 30 Celsius. Sometimes with the wind chill, minus 40. And it's great. 
And he learned about all of that. But you know what? It was here. One day when he emigrated to Canada, he stepped out of the plane. January, February. And guess what he learned? He learned something he's never experienced before. He thought he knew about it, but then he knew. He experienced it. And really, this is talking about our walk with the Lord. This is the example I'm trying to give. What Paul is saying here is that it's not a head full of religious information. He's just dismissed all of that. He's saying, that is as nothing if I don't have a walk with Christ. If I don't have a relationship with Him. And the words he uses here in verse 12, they're unique. They're not widely used in our context today in everyday understanding. But I'm going to look at these just to help our understanding of this text. Look at verse 12. He says, attained. This is the word he uses of lumbano. He says attained. It's the idea of taking hold of or grasping to have the full comprehending of. What he's saying is here, here is my salvation is something that I have a relationship with Christ, but this is something I want to have a full and complete understanding of. I want to keep following Christ until I have fully attained that, a full understanding. And if we're understanding salvation in the Bible, for our understanding today, we could say that it is written in both past, present, and future tenses. Let me explain this. When we're talking about salvation in the past, I hope you can say this, that there was a day where you were saved. If you can't say that, now today would be a good time to get that matter settled in your heart. But if you're looking back and you're seeing a time where you came to know Christ as your Savior, you're saying that was the day I was saved. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. We know at that point of salvation in our life, two things happened in that moment of salvation. The Bible says two things happened. Justification and adoption happened at the moment of salvation for those theology students. Justification. Where God declared the law's righteous demands, the requirements of holiness, as being satisfied. They were met on our behalf. Not by what we did. Not by our own righteousness. But by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It was where God imputed that to us and where God declares us holy, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. There was justification. And at that same time, there was adoption. We were taking from a family of sin into God's family. It's a beautiful picture and this matters greatly because when we are saved, we are free from the power of the guilt of sin and free from the penalty of sin. Christ took all my sin in His body on the tree and in exchange, I have His righteousness. I have His holiness. And I stand before God as being forgiven. And He frees us even from the guilt of sin. There was the past, but also there is the present when we were saved in the past, as you're thinking back to that day, it's not just a moment in time, but it is continuing till this day. As I stand here today, I can say, today I am saved because of that moment in time. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. We're living in that day and age. You ever discover that? Where the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness? Where you're trying to present the gospel to somebody and they're looking at you as being the fool? You explain to them what college you're in. You're saying it's a Bible college and they're looking at you and saying, what? What are you doing there? 
That's the day and age we live in. But really, the example here in the verse is we that are saved today. It doesn't say that day that we will be saved. It doesn't say the, the day that we are being saved. And that's a horrible translation of this verse. But it's saying this, we sit here today and we are saved. That talks about two things. Sanctification and security. Sanctification meaning this, that there is a present change in my life as a result of that past day that I'm looking at where I was saved. You realize old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Sanctification is a process that is ongoing in our life, but as we sit here today and we say we are saved, you can know that with a security. And you can say that with confidence. I have salvation. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1 verse 5, we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So there's a past, present, and that verse just says this, there is a future salvation. What do we mean by that? Well, we are kept until the day when our salvation is fully revealed. The Bible says we've been saved from the penalty of sin that's in the past. Forgiven. We are saved from the power of sin that's in the present. When we walk in the Spirit, we can have the victory. But we will be saved one day, get this, and I'm thankful for this, from the very presence of sin in the future. And one day, my life will end in one of two guaranteed ways. One day, Jesus will come again. And you can ask me the question when, and I'll answer you, I don't know. But we are to be living in that expectation every day, knowing Christ could return today. And you know what? My life here on earth will be finished. That's one way it'll end. The next guaranteed way, if Christ doesn't return before then, My life will end in death. And so will yours. I often refer to this and I say to people, none of us are getting out of this alive. We will die one day. This life will end. But Philippians 3, verse 12, Paul keeps our perspective until that day. He says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. What's he talking about? That future salvation is not here yet. That future glorification has not yet taken place. So what's his focus in the meantime? He says, all those glorious truths are laid up one day for me. But today, I'm not there yet. But today, and with great humility, he says, that moment has not yet come. So this moment... That I'm living in today, what he says is I want to continue forward with spiritual maturity, moving on with the Lord, growing every day. And until that day, Paul says, he's going to stay humble. He's going to stay focused until that end. That means this, nobody on earth can say that they've arrived. I've attained. I've done it. Nobody can claim that. Nobody can claim to be without sin. Nobody has everything all together. We don't revere and worship people as being sinless saints here on earth. We're all working together through this sanctification process, following Christ. But listen, apart from Christ, we are wretched, sinful, and wicked. What I'm saying today is our whole focus, our whole purpose of worship and service today is not because of who we are. 
It's because of who Christ is. We don't lift up and exalt any other name but the name of Jesus. I love the special in chapel this morning, and it says that line, were it not for grace, where would you be? This is exactly what we're looking at here. We need to keep this focus from a humble heart and say, I am what I am today because of the grace of God. Paul says, now is not the time to sit back and to shift into neutral. Listen, seniors, if you're in your fourth year, now is not the time to shift into senioritis, into neutral. Stay forward. It's just the beginning. Paul says with humility, but notice his second attitude with passion. Look at verse 12. Not as though I had already attained or either were already perfect with humility, but what does he say? But I follow after. Notice these passionate words. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended He's got some great words in here too. He says this word, I follow after. Notice that in verse 12. It's the word dioko. And in the Bible, it's used in two ways. In a positive light and a negative light. This same word, dioko, was used to describe Paul's previous life before he was saved. In Philippians 3.6, we already read it, uh, referred to it. He says, concerning, concerning zeal, what does he say? Before he knew Christ, what was he doing? He was persecuting. You see that in verse 6? That's the same word that I'm referring to in this other verse. Dioko. He says, I was passionately persecuting the church. 1 Corinthians 15.9, he says, I am the least of the apostles, not called, uh, not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Dioko. Galatians 1.13, For ye have heard of my conversation in, in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. See, this was a part that he's describing of his past that was shameful. It was a negative that he looked back on that and he says, I did this. I passionately pursued the persecution of the church. That's a negative light. But now he's using the same word in verse 12 in a positive light. He says, I follow after. It's almost like he's drawing the parallel. He says, in the same way that I passionately persecuted the church, that's before I knew the Lord. He says, in the same way, now that I've turned my back on that and I'm turned towards Christ, I'm following Him, I follow after. I used to dioko, persecute, but now I pursue. And this example that he's giving here is a great example of the same passionate following, but now following after Christ. What a great reminder for us as Christians. You know what? When people heard Paul's name, you know what they thought of? Passionate follower of Christ. What do what people think of when they hear your name? When they hear my name? We can be known for many things. I pray that we're known one day for that same thing. A passionate follower of Jesus Christ. For Paul, there was a time in his life he met the Lord in a powerful encounter. The Lord changed him. 
And what he's saying is he wants to lay hold of that life in Christ and make it his own. And and in English, we miss the play on words here. So let me describe this in verses 12 and 13. What Paul is doing, he's using two words. Lambano and catalambano, meaning lambano is grasp or seize. The word kata put in front of that means to make one's own, is intensified. Let's read through it and I'll point it out to you. He says, I follow after, and we've already looked at that word, if that I may apprehend, it's catalambano, that for which also I am apprehended, catalambano of Jesus Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But look how he begins this verse in verse 12. Not as though I had already attained. You know what that word is? It's the other word. He says, I, I tried to grasp at some things and hold on to them. But it wasn't like a personal faith in Jesus Christ. He says, now that I've met the Lord, he says, I thought I had already attained. But now that I know Christ, this is what I have. This is what I want to fully make mine own. What he's saying is, I'm not there yet, but this life in Christ is one that I want to focus on until the day it becomes a full reality. The day of complete salvation. What he's saying is, I'm not done yet. Where is he writing that from? Prison. He's writing these words from prison. Now, if I was put in prison for preaching the gospel, I'd think, that's it, I'm done. That's it for me. But Paul's like, I'm not done yet. I'm still living. I'm still breathing. God still has a work for me to do. I see this passion. But thirdly, let's notice this, and it's the title of the message today. Focus. Focus. Philippians 3, verse 13, again that phrase, this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. For Paul, he could have remembered all that he prided himself in. He could have remembered all those religious accomplishments and could have said, I've done enough. He could have also looked back and he could have allowed that guilt of the persecuted church to hold him back. And certainly, I think in the quietness of those moments, maybe he's thinking back to all those persecutions that he did. But whether positive or negative, what he's saying is, I am determining not to remember those things. He was going to take all of those thoughts and and subject them to the Lord. He was going to cast them down. He was going to put them out of his mind. Can I just say for some of us here today, maybe we need to do that with the past. All of those things, whether positive or negative, maybe we need to just put them in the past and put them down. Because sometimes we can be characterized by those things. Maybe you come from a past that's been negative. Listen, don't be a victim of the past. Realize that your life is in Christ and you can have the victory because of who He is. If you're saved, remember you're forgiven forever. The Lord will help you from day to day. Obviously, that doesn't mean it's a license to sin, but we are caused to dwell on that love that saved us. He uses this word and just quickly to reach forth in these verses. Gives this idea of stretching or straining toward a goal. Living life in a fallen world, I'll tell you this, is not a walk in the park. If you're going to live your life for the Lord, the Lord already warned us, listen, you're going to encounter persecutions. 
You're going to encounter oppositions. And so this, this picture of straining towards the goal, pressing forward is really the greatest example of that is really Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. That great temptation that fell on Him. Listen, He endured all the way to the cross. He pressed forward. This life isn't a sprint. That's the kind of race I like. Right? Just run your hardest for a few short seconds and you're done. This life is a marathon. It's a faithful pressing on. A marathon is not just a haphazard endeavor. You just wake up one morning and think, I'm going to run a marathon. Any of you feel like that this morning? Just waking up with so, so much energy and not a single person. Listen, a marathon is something you train for. You work towards. You go out in an all-out commitment. Living the Christian life. And can I just warn you, living in ministry life. Some of you young men and Ladies are going on into ministry work as a missionary or working in a church. It's going to take a lot of effort moving forward with faithfulness. It's not just a nonchalant choice made in an, in an emotional moment in an invitation. Those moments are good in invitation moments, but listen, this is a purposeful dedication, an all-out surrender, an all-out focus. It's not just subscribe for a month and then unsubscribed when feelings change. Think of it. Christ gave Himself for us. He has saved us. He has forgiven us. He has justified us. He has adopted us. He has sanctified us. He has cleansed us. He has redeemed us. He has done all of these things. For what? So we could just do our own thing? The Bible says He has purified unto Himself a peculiar people so that we might be zealous of good works. Passionately pursuing Him. He ought to be our focus. Listen, when it comes to the race of life, He ought to be our reason for running. I came across a website, Olympic.com. And on there, they give stories about past Olympics. There was one story of John Stephen Aquari. He was a marathon runner in 1968 from Tanzania. He entered the Olympic Games that year, not really fully expected to win, but listen, he was good enough, he made it to the Olympics. He was there, but there were some other people ahead of him that were more expected to win. He's not recorded on the website or in history for any accomplishment regarding a medal, but something rather more profound. John Aquari was running in the race. And if you've ever run in a race like that, sometimes there are crowded moments. And in a crowded moment, when people are jockeying for position, he got tripped up with some other people. And when he hit the ground, he hit hard. The records say when he fell to the ground, he gashed his knee. He also caused a dislocation. He smashed his shoulder against the pavement. Those who were watching gasped and thought that he would not continue when they saw his injuries. He went to the sidelines, he got some medical attention, and he returned back to the race. Now with those types of injuries, obviously your pace is going to be a little bit slower. But he continued on in that race. The records say his resolve to complete the event remained intact. 
18 of the 75 who started the race pulled out. After more than an hour, an hour after the winner was announced, that man from Tanzania crossed the finish line. There's only a few thousand spectators left that remained in the stadium after the sun went down. The, the medals had already been awarded. But by the time he reached the stadium, he was limping. The bandage that was around his knee was now flapping in the wind. And he held all those wounds about him. He was asked later on why he carried on to the finish line, even in that condition. And his response is what's gone down in sports history. He said this, My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start a race. He, sent, he said, My country sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. He was focused on the ones who sent him to run. Listen, Christ saved us. He has sent us. I pray we all press on together because think of it. In a room this size, in a student body this size, and by the way, thank you for your spirit here. I'm always encouraged every time I step foot on campus, not just from faculty, but from the student body. We've been here for the past couple of days and I sense a great spirit here. But I pray that that helps you to realize that you can serve the Lord not only here, but one day in a local church or a mission field out there. And you can take this same spirit and you can encourage others in ministry work. God has saved you. He has sent you. And I pray that this student body stays focused on Christ. There's a lot of things that we can get sidetracked with. There's a lot of things that can really form opinions, that can cause division in between people. But you know what I pray? I pray this student body has a great unity. You know what you're going to need in the days ahead? Brothers and sisters in Christ. Hey, scattered all over the world, but can call out, can email, can text, and can encourage one another in the ministry. These are the days you form these relationships. And I want to encourage you, keep that moving forward. Have that unity one with another and encourage one another to keep pressing on, to go forward, and to keep this focus on Christ crucified on our new life in Him, but on that Gospel commission that He's called us to. I pray that this heart, this Spirit, continues to be seen on this campus. Know this, there are pastors, parents, and church members that are praying for you today. Right now. They're praying that you would be focused on today's responsibilities. They're praying that you would stay focused throughout this semester, throughout this year, throughout all the years of your training. They're praying for you. They're praying you would stay faithful and focused. Listen, there are areas all around California, all around the United States and Canada, all around the world where people are praying for you. They don't know you by name. Not like your pastor or your church family would know you. But there are people that are praying in areas of the world that there would be some young person who would be following the Lord, who would stay focused, and who would come to their area with the Gospel. I wonder what the Lord could do with a group this size who would stay focused 
on what the Lord has called them to. In the meantime, stay humble about what God has done in your life. Stay passionately following Christ. And stay focused on the one who has called you.